welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Church, God's Essential Business. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, uh, I want to give a standalone message today. In, uh, it's entitled, Church, God's Essential Business. The pandemic, let me get some of my junk out of the way today. I spent a big party yesterday thinking it was Friday, so I'm a, I feel a little disorganized this morning. Uh, the pandemic has brought some new terms to our vocabulary, um, social distancing, contactless shopping, flattening the curve, contact tracing, quarantining. Um, critical exposure. I had an exposure recently and I went and explained to the doctor. I went to get tested and explained to the doctor my exposure and he said, well, that's not a critical exposure. So I learned a new word, critical exposure. You were, you were with the person less than 15 minutes. He said, that's not a critical exposure. <clears throat> well, I'm not giving out medical advice. I'm just telling you what he said, okay? <laughs> Uh, another word that hasn't been thrown around much that I learned is a, is a COVID nomenclature is fomite. And that means objects or materials that might carry infection. So our vocabulary has really improved this year. Then there's that one that I want to preach about today, essential business. Th- th- that's the one I want to make the theme of my message today. I want to explain to you why I believe The church is God's essential business. Now, this message is only partly a response to 2020 and the pandemic. And I'm not trying to address uh, um, public policy regarding gatherings, in-person gatherings, and, and, and all of that. I'm not really trying to address that, although I believe in-person gatherings are important for the church. There will be those who will cling to the church more tightly because of the pandemic. And then there will be those or a percentage of people who are discovering for them, we're discovering for them the church is not essential. Uh, According to a Barna survey, 32% of church members in the United States have stopped attending church in person and have stopped watching online. That's that's a lot of people, one-third. And I hear that from many pastors that I talk to, that, that they are concerned that a third of their people will not come back when it's over. And I'm not, I'm not preaching this message today, and at least the best I know my heart, out of some sort of panic that, that you know, that I'm uh, uh, not going to have a church left when it's over. I, I believe... I believe we're going to have a stronger church. I really do believe that. I think we're going to have a much stronger church when this is over. Because people, uh, you know, a friend of mine, when this thing whole started, he, he told me, oh, people, people are going to find out they, 
they want to, they'd rather stay home and watch it online. And I even said then, I said back in February, no way. People are not, people are going to get sick and tired of watching, looking at a screen. They're not, the, the people, people want to be with people. People want contact with other human beings. It's not the same. I'm glad, and I, uh, we don't, uh, we don't uh, live stream the first service, so I can say this. Uh, and I'm glad people are joining us live stream. Many, many people are. But it's not the same experience. You know, the dog's running through the room, and the, you, you're running to the refrigerator for a snack, and all kinds. Of, it's just not the same experience as being here. We, we need to be together. We need to, t- you know, I can't wait to start hugging all of you again. I'm just going to, I'm going to be, the, I, I'm not a big hugger before, but I'm going to be now. I'm going to be just, you're just going to, I want to see me coming. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hug you. <laughs> um, let's compare that, the, the, that non-essential view of church with the heart of God. This is a thematic sermon, by the way, and I'll read, I'm going to read three verses. A thematic sermon is, when you have a theme and you go all over the scripture for it, uh, normally I will take all my talking points out of one scripture. But today I'm not going to do that, okay? Uh, so I want to read three verses, and I want to see if you can detect the heart of God. I want you to listen carefully to these verses and watch them carefully. And I want to see if you can detect the heart of God toward believers gathering together as a faith community and what he views as his essential business. Because I'm telling you, not this is an essential business. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I believe this church, that the church, the local church and the mystical invisible body of Christ, I believe it is God's essential business in the earth. You say, well, you say that because you're a pastor. No. You say, you, you, you say that just because you're a pastor and because of job security. No, you got it backward. This is why I became a pastor. I can remember 17 years of age lying on the carpet in uh, uh, southern South Texas, a little church. I don't remember why I was there. Uh, We were doing ministry. Uh, I think I was with my brother. I was playing the keyboard for him during those days. And I remember laying on the carpet praying one day, just laying on the carpet praying. And weeping, and the only two words I could say was the church. I just this huge burden came over me for the church of Jesus Christ, and I realized then that 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 the church was the heartbeat of God. That's what I believed, and and I still believe that the church in the world is the heartbeat of God, and we are. I mean, we are the bride of Christ. I'm watching. uh, I'm watching a couple of young people moving toward marriage in my life right now. And believe me, we're all shut out. <laughs> believe me, they are first in one another's life. I mean, Elise and I used to have some wonderful long talks. And we would go to Starbucks together. Not anymore. No. No, it's all over. <laughs> That's how Jesus feels about the church. All right, let's look at three verses. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For who, he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So people not believing the church was essential didn't just happen in 2020. It happened in, it happened in the first century. <laughs> Let's go to Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Think about that. Think about what he just said. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. In other words, you're a part of, of something very, very large whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Let's go back there. You've come in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have joined something that is, that is really, the Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. By all the saints. I, I, uh, you know, Mark Ottman, I texted him with some questions about another passage. But this, pa- this passage, I think Mark carries the same idea that you and I were talking about in the text back and forth. That the word angel, as Mark said to me in a return text, the word angel is not just a being, but a job description. It's a messenger. A messenger from God. I know when, when I got, went into my cancer treatment, the Lord, I believe the Lord spoke to me one day and said, basically, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to send you angels. And you know what those angels were? They weren't beings with wings that flew down when I would go. It was people, different people. And I could stand here for an hour, and I've told you the stories in preaching of the last five years, of the stories of God sending people in my path through every bit of that, that, that thing that it was just miraculous. It was miraculous how the angels would show up, the messengers from God. So you are joining a, 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 a multi-million, billion maybe, host of angels, of messengers from God that have been put on the earth to carry this message of redemption and restoration and forgiveness and healing of the world. Now let's go to the third passage And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Notice what he said. He didn't say I came to. I didn't. He didn't say I came to build a government. He didn't say that. He didn't say I come to build a corporation. He didn't say I come to build a business. He didn't. He said I came to build a church. My essential business is to build a church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, I, I, want, to, I, want, us to follow, uh, I want us to follow the science. I want us to follow the scripture. We're going to even follow the Supreme Court today. And we're going to follow the Holy Spirit to establish the case that the church is God's essential business. First of all, let's follow the science. You know, some Christians wrongly disdain science. But that's really foolish to disdain science. Science only validates, good science only validates what is true and what is right. Amen? In fact, science was actually invented 
to, do, to explore the wonders of God. Science was invented by people who believed in God. The original Royal Academy of Science in London was established by people who believed in God. Uh, Galileo, many others that I could name today, were men, uh, uh, mostly males in that, in that era, who believed in God and were searching for God. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh the, hope of the, li- uh, uh, the reason for the hope that lies within you. A reason. Reason. That's a scientific term. Uh, the Greek word is apologia. It's, it's a scientific term. And so he says, give a reason. When Paul defended his faith in Christ before the Roman governor Festus, he said, your great learning is driving you insane. He didn't say, your ignorance and lack of education is driving you insane. He said, your great learning is driving you insane. So good science is good sense and always on the side of righteousness. So let's look at the data about whether going to church is good for you scientifically. Well, let's look at the first category, health and wellness. Now, by the way, I started researching this early in the week, and I ended up with 36 pages of data about going to church and scientific data validating that it's, that it's um, healthy for you in various ways. So I'm not going to give you 36 pages. I'm going to only give you like a page. Health and wellness. Churchgoers live longer. It's a scientific fact. Enjoy better overall health than the general population. According to preventive medicine expert Dr. Linda Powell of Chicago's Rush University Medical Center, that's what she said, part of the answer is the positive lifestyle choices, of course. Churches promote most religious organizations discourage habits like smoking, infidelity, other risky behaviors. They also provide the people with positive uh, social networks, right? That, that the positive social networks are essential to health and well-being. Also, churches promote prayer and meditation, which is healthy. You know you're 40% less likely to have high blood pressure if you go to church every week. 40% less. According to a study by Marino Bruce, a Vanderbilt University professor and the associate director of the school's Center for Research on Men's Health, people who attend church may reduce their risk of mortality by 55%. Trying to get to heaven may actually keep you longer on earth. That's the truth. What about happiness? According to the Pew Research Center, frequent churchgoers are happier. Those who attend services regularly are more often uh, happier than those who attend less often. Those who seldom or never attend are the least likely to be happy. A Harvard study study of 66,492 females and 43,141 males found that attendance at religious services at least once per week resulted in a 68% lower hazard of death from despair, they call it. 68% in women, a 33% lower uh, uh, death rate uh, from despair, and I'll explain what that means in a minute, in men. So 68 women, 33% men. Death from despair means death from alcohol, drugs, or suicide. So you have a 68% less chance if you're a woman and a 33% less chance if you're a man of dying from one of those causes if you will go to church every week. What about marriage? Couples who attend church together report. Now, now in the past, you've seen these statistics that 
there's just as many Christians getting divorced as non-Christians. That's because you walk out with a microphone in the streets and everybody, all kinds of people will tell you they're a Christian. That's not the measure. The measure is are you actively involved in your church? That's the measure. And when you measure church attendance, then you are much less likely to get divorced and you're much more likely to be happily married if you go to church. This draws upon three essential surveys. The University of Virginia sociologist Bradford Wilcox found that married church-going Americans across racial and denominational classifications were less likely to describe them, were, were more likely, I should have said, to describe themselves as very happy in their marriage than non-religious respondents. Couples who attend church together regularly were also less likely to divorce and were more likely to report that they enjoyed their sex lives. Now, the church just grew. <laughs> what about benefits to children? In a study compiling the independent findings of more than 100 social scientists, Dr. Pat Fagan of the Center for Research on Marriage and Religion found that church children are less likely to get divorced later in life, are more able to overcome poverty and exhibit better academic performance. He also cites evidence that children who attend church regularly are less likely to engage in sexual activity as teens and are less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Psychological anthropologist Dr. Tanya Lerman, who has written extensively on, on the benefits of church and the benefits of prayer, and, and she comes at it from an outsider she, she, she does not claim to be a Christian, but she's gone into churches and watched our culture and studied our culture and has written very positively. She comes at it from a very positive approach. Here's what she says. She said, at a church I studied in Southern California, the standard conversion stories seem to tell of a finding God and never taking methamphetamines again. <laughs> She went on to say, a study conducted in North Carolina found that frequent churchgoers had larger sex social networks with more contact, with more affection, and more kinds of social support from those people than their unchurched counterparts. And we know that social support is directly tied to better health. That's Dr. Tanya Lerman, Harvard graduate and psychological anthropologist from Stanford University. Now, we don't need the academians to validate us, right? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. But I still want to put it out there for you because you may have a little bit of insecurity and you may think that you're going to church and you're being a Christian is just some weird psychological construct that you found, you found happiness and hope in but nobody else has. I want you to know all over the world the, the, the science, the data is in, the jury is in, church works. Yes. Amen? Let's follow the scripture. We gave you a little bit of science. There's a lot more there. There's a lot more studies that we could refer. You can go look this up for yourself. But let's follow the scripture that validates the church is essential. Uh, Megan Hill in her book, A Place to Belong, writes, In the unassuming gathering of the local church, we fellowship with Christ himself. Dear Christians, we have no greater privilege belonging to Christ means that we also belong to everyone else who belongs to him. See, that's what happens when you decide the church is essential. First Corinthians chapter, let me give you, I'm gonna, uh, we could give you like uh, 
I could give you like 50, ver- 50 passages, but uh, I, I know you want to go to lunch, so, or, or, or brunch, I guess, if you're going to get out here at 10, 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, 25 says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers comes in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, in other words, prophesying the language they understand, we're not going to get into talking about speaking in tongues this morning trying to unpack that. That's not the subject today. I, I, want, I want to bring you to the last part of this verse. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God exclaiming. Now here's what I wanted you to see. God is really among you. You ever think of that? That when you gather together like this this morning, that God is in the house? See, that's what, that's what sets us apart from any other meeting in town or any other club or any other organization. That's what sets us apart. What sets us apart is where two or three are gathered in His name. He is in the midst. What sets us apart is when, when God's people meet together to pray and to worship and to, and to feed on the Word of God. God Himself shows up. God Himself shows up in, man, in a manifest way that is different is different than how we know God is everywhere. Sure, we know God is everywhere. We know God's at the football games today, and we know God is, well, God is at the restaurants, and God is at your house, and God is in the streets. But, but evidently, he wanted, us, he wanted us to know, when, when he gave us that verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst, he wanted us to know that, that there was a manifestation of God's Spirit that was unique to the gathering of believers, that was unique to gathering as a church. And gathering together. So what we believe, what, what, we've, what we've come to know, is that coming to a church service can change your life. Because you will meet God, you will meet the manifestation of God in a way that you will not meet it anywhere else. Let's go to another verse. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him too you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, who is he talking to? He's not talking to all of humanity. He's not talking to the human race. And we do believe there's a brotherhood of man. There's other, there's other passages of Scripture we could read that would talk about a general relationship that we have with all people, regardless if they don't believe in God or whatever they believe. There's a love that we're supposed to have for them and a connection, and we can work together to accomplish goals. That, it's, not, it's not about an exclusionary thing that we have going on here. But he is saying, I want, I want you to go and become a family. I want you to go and get connected. I, I heard of a, a, I knew a pastor named Roy Harthorn who said one time he got a call from a woman who said, Pastor Harthorn, I know I haven't been in church for six months, but I want you to know, Pastor, I'm still a part of the body. And he said, well, tell you what, and she's on the phone, of course, and he's not with her personally. He said, take your little finger and wiggle it. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So she wiggled, I guess she did it. 
And he said, well, what if your little finger disappeared for six months? Would you still think it was part of your body? No. He said, he said we're to be connected together. There, there's to be, and I don't mean, and, and you know I preached a lot about this because I'm always concerned. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with anything that feels cultic or controlling or you could never leave this church because we would, we would come and haunt you and stalk you and sit in front of your house or something if you try to go to another church. I won't know part of that. I, I won't know part of that. I won't know part of anything that's cultic or, 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 or human-centered or centered around a pastor and a celebrity pastor thing. And I, We don't want any part of that. But there's another, there's another side, though, where some people don't want any accountability. They, they, they want to live a life spiritually. They want to be spiritual free agents. And they never feel like they have to let anybody know when they're not going to be in church. You don't feel like you have to let anybody know when you're absent from church. You're missing. You're missing the beauty of... You're missing what being a part of a church is all about. It's being connected. It's being intimately connected with other people. So you're... You know, in a sense, you kind of, you kind of want people that are kind of in your business. In a healthy sense, right? Not a busybody sense or controlling sense. But in a healthy sense, you want people... You know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of marriage counseling and, and, and other types of counseling, not just marriage... A lot of counseling just needs to be done in the context of friendships. And we got to go off and, and to find this professional who doesn't know us, who won't tell anybody everything we tell him. And it'd be a lot healthier if we had a group of friends down at the church that we just could tell everything to. I think some of the best counseling would come out of that where people really know you and they, they know you struggle with, with finances or they know you struggle with anger management or they, or they, they know you struggle with, with some sort of lust. They know that about you. and You, you know, you know sometimes, sometimes, Scott, I think the healthiest place in the church is to celebrate recovery. Absolutely. Really? Amen. Because there, there you walk in the door and if you don't tell some dirt on yourself, you don't belong. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's a, uh, <laughs> what, what if the whole church just became Celebrate Recovery? Because you know? <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all in need of help, man. I need a lot of help. Okay, let's read one more verse. And this is the one that I, that I texted Mark uh, about because he follows a guy named Michael Heiser who, 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 who goes to a whole other world with his study of, of, uh, of, of the um, spiritual forces out there. Ephesians 3.8 says, Though I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, uh, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, now re- this is powerful, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have time to even get into what that all means. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there, right? But apparently, apparently our, our understanding of redemption because of Christ and because of his death on the cross and our revelation, of the, uh, our revelation of the redeeming power of Christ as we live it out is, is, is something that, that two groups of people, the, the God's, cre- God's creation, 
The angels don't understand redemption. And the angels in terms of those who have gone on before, they are, we, are, we are living representations of what Christ is all about. We are the body of Christ. They look down upon us to find out what this story of redemption is really all about. We are explaining it to them as we live it out. And I got a feeling that verse also might apply to some of those demonic powers up there too that are getting their education on what the power of Christ is. They watch the church and they watch people loving each other forgiving each other serving each other dedicating each other's babies and caring about one and they watch this powerful thing happening to the church I believe the universe is getting an education amen Amen. now why some Christians don't treat the church as essential is I think there are three major reasons that some professing some professed Christians don't treat the church as essential Number one, because they see faith as a privatized consumer commodity. Faith is a privatized consumer commodity. I have my spirituality. I have my faith. Me and God. And that's been around a long time. It's not anything new. I mean, Tom T. Hall wrote a song years ago, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. (laughs) Me and Jesus got it all worked out. So faith, faith is seen as a privatized consumer commodity. I, get, I go and get my faith. I go home with it. I don't have to talk to you. Secondly, because they do not study the Scripture. Most Christians don't study the Scripture, I'm going to tell you. I, I don't mean that to be mean or unkind to you. Most Christians don't study the Scripture. You know the, you know the Bible doesn't say read the Bible? You should read the Bible, by the way. But it doesn't say it. It says study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible says, God said, I want you to study the scripture. I want you to understand what it's talking about. I want you to understand it. You, the next time Jay does his class, you need to go to it. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. Because it's about learning to study the scripture so you understand it. I wish I had time to talk about that because that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine. That people need to study the scripture. That too that too will cut down on our need to go for a lot of counseling when we start to understand the scripture and we decide we're going to obey it, right? Thirdly, professing Christians don't treat the church as essential because they have been wounded and hurt in the church. And because they don't understand the Bible, they're blindsided by false believers, carnal and badly behaved believers, or they simply have never learned to forgive petty offenses. And they don't get along anywhere in any social group. They get their feelings hurt in every social group they belong to because they have not learned to practice the scriptural practice of forgiving others for their human weaknesses. <laughs> so that's just, that's just three reasons I believe that some people don't consider the church as essential. Number three, and I'm running a little behind, I apologize. Uh, number three, right now we can follow the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court validates the church is essential. Here was Neil Gorsuch, court, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch's response to New York State's restrictions on public worship gatherings. He said it's time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges... There is no world in which constitutions tolerates color-coded 
executive edicts to reopen liquor stores and bike shops, but shutters churches, synagogues, and mosques. Go Neil Gorsuch. The Supreme Court responded this also to the New York restrictions. They said, members of this court are not public health experts, and we should respect the judgment of those with special expertise and responsibility in this area. The opinion said, but New York's restrictions strike at the very heart of the First Amendment guarantee of religious liberty. Now, here's their response to California restricting extreme restrictions on church meetings. They said, even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. The restrictions at issue here, by effectively barring many from attending religious services, strike at the very heart of the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty. So thank God for the Supreme Court in this one. Finally, following the Spirit validates the church as essential. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But, but one and the same Spirit works all these things Distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, now, what's the context? The church. That's the context of all these gifts being expressed. Revelation 2 and 11 says, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What follows that statement is seven letters with seven distinct directives to seven local churches. See, it is to our detriment and poverty of soul that we underestimate the authority of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. And I used to feel like I had to explain the Holy Spirit to people. But I've really found out through the years that I didn't have to do that. I found out that everybody knows about the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows about that voice. I talked about it last week in the sermon. Everybody knows about that voice that confirms what is true. Everybody has that voice that lets them know, uh, lets them know that they know that they know, that they know that they know that they know, because they know that they know. Everybody has that voice, and that voice is real and that voice is powerful and it's outside of the normal scientific plausibility structure I'll admit that it's outside of the normal scientific plausibility structure but it is it has been validated repeatedly among human beings that there there's a voice of the spirit of god that speaks loud and clear and affirms what science will later affirm affirms what scripture will affirm later as you read it will sometimes be affirmed by the supreme court and will always be informed it will always be affirmed by what you know that 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 you know and you know that the church has been born of the holy spirit and you know that when you come here god speaks to you you know that 
you know that God speaks to you. And so what science and scripture and the spirit make clear is when we submit to the order of God's dwelling place on earth, which results in taking our place in God's family, being led and loved by the gifts of the spirit residing in the people of God who are here, only then, only then do we truly access all of the manifestations of God's grace. I'm not saying that those people who, who treat the church as non-essential, I'm not saying they're saved or not saved. I'm not saying that they have eternal life or they don't. I'm not saying they have a relationship with God or they don't. I'm not trying to say that. I will say that dogmatically, though, there are manifestations of God's grace that they will never access. That if you want all of God, you need to go to church. And you need to make church a part of your life. Listen, if God wrote seven letters to seven churches and all those letters were different because each church was different, that means that if you don't belong to a church, you're not getting some of your mail from God. That's what it means. So, you better go to the grocery store if you want an ample supply of food in your house. You better go to the gas station even in a pandemic, if you want your transportation to serve you. You probably should go to your doctor's office, even in a pandemic, to manage your health. You should probably engage with educational opportunities if you want to avoid falling behind intellectually, and especially for your children. And if you want to stay current with God, you need to stay engaged with your church. Whether it's live stream or you come in person. You want to stay in touch with God. This is your, this is your church. This is your family. This is, this is your connection with all that Jesus is. Because this is the body of Christ. We say, I know a lot of weird people around here. Sure, I do too. I'm one of them sometimes. But we all have we all have the taste of the lamb in our mouth. We all have a bit of Jesus in us. Every one of you here this morning have, have, have a bit of Jesus in you that I don't have. And I need that manifestation of Jesus that you have, Kevin. I need that manifestation of Jesus that you have. I need that manifestation that you have, Bill, and you have, Megan. You have, John. I need that, Scott and Susan, Megan, I need, the, I need the manifestation of Jesus that you have. I, I don't have all the manifestations of Jesus. I have some. I have a couple, I have a couple of things that you ought to, you ought to listen to. <laughs> a couple of things you could learn from me. I have, I have a lot of stuff. Please don't learn from me. Please, please look the other way. <laughs> I need you. I need you. Because you're, I need you like I need my hand. I need you like I need my foot. I need you like I need my ear. You're part, of, you're, part of, you're part of who I am because I'm in Christ. And I'm not fully operating in Christ if I'm not connected with you. I'm not fully operating in Christ and knowing Him if I'm not, if I'm not connected with you and you're not connected with me. I just am amazed when I get to know all of you personally that everybody, everybody in this room that I've had the chance to get to personally know, I think you're a little weird at first and then... Then I get to know you. I thought, 
that you have an amazing gift at something. So, so, something, you're just amazing. Something that, like, you do so well. They're like, how do you do that? I could never do that. That's why God wants us to be together. None of us have it all together. But together we have it all. Let's stand. I want everybody that's here today to I want you to settle in your heart your commitment to Christ but also your commitment to the body of Christ and if you're one of those who kind of floats around you go to this church for a while another church for a while that's not God's plan for your life okay you won't grow till you get till you get planted you need to put down your roots somewhere it, it doesn't have there's a lot of good churches out there so I, this is not the only the only game in town but you need to put down your roots somewhere. So I want to I want to pray that prayer with you right now before I invite uh, Steve Romero up to dismiss you. So let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I dedicate this moment as a moment when we dedicate ourselves to the body of Christ. And that we determine that in 2021, we're going to be better members of the body of Christ. We're gonna we're gonna invest more and we're gonna receive more from the brothers and sisters that are around us and we're going to flourish and the kingdom of God is going to grow in 2021.